Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. Sermon I've titled, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Years ago, a little boy came running into the house. It's the end of the school year, but he came running into the house after school shouting, Daddy, Daddy, I got a hundred in school today. He said, man, that is great, son. Tell me about it. Come on in the house. Tell me about it. He said, well, I got a 50 in spelling, a 30 in math, and a 20 in science. The dad said, man, that is great, son. Come on out, and I'll buy you an ice cream. <clears throat> that same young man today represents the state of California in the U.S. Congress. <laughs> I tell that when I first saw it, I thought, <clears throat> evidently not real humorous, but um, I, I saw it and I thought, you know what, how often do we as Christians do a good deed here, do something there, and we think that takes care of everything. In us, we add it up, but really, it all falls short of what it should be. And so I thought, man, what a what a way to look at that. And we go into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, where he says, For even here too were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For we were as sheep going astray, but now are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Now shall we pray. Father, this is your word, and I know that I will fail to preach it in the power in which you gave it. And yet, Lord, I pray that you'll make the great difference and just take the message home to each heart. I pray if there's one in our midst today or listening by radio or watching on the internet that is without Jesus Christ, may this be the day they come to receive him as Lord and Savior. If there's one who has wandered from you, I pray that today would be the day they come back. Edify the saints and, and glorify the name of Jesus in Christ's name. Amen. Before I start this message, I want to say this uh, for you folks as well, but for our listeners on WTYG as well as those watching by the internet, you can go, if you're watching by internet, then you have the ability to also go to our website and, and uh, listen to our radio station. And at 1230 on Sunday, we always have the plan of salvation as well as 730. And if you're not sure of your salvation, I would encourage you to go there and listen if you would. Now, as we go into our message today, we, here it is Memorial Day. And our minds go back to the men and women who gave their lives and limbs for this country. They did it in wars throughout our history. Some didn't give their life. Some did not give their limbs. 
And yet they went into those battles knowing that that could very well be the outcome. And they stood firm. We're sad for the families and yet we esteem them highly because the fight they fought was right for this country. I don't see any of these. You've heard me say this before, but I don't mind saying it again. But I don't think any of those fighting in these battles, giving their blood and their life for our country, were thinking, boy, if I can do this, if we can win, we can kill unborn human babies. I can't think of any of them thinking, you know what we can do? If we win this fight, we can change the gender of, 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 of men and women from what they are to something else. In rebellion against the plan of the great great creator for their life. I don't think they said, boy, if we can win this thing, then men can marry men and ladies can marry ladies. No, they had high ideals for which they were willing to give their lives. So let us today consider the martyr who deserves the greatest memorial that was ever accomplished, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we start off by saying, first of all, hallelujah, because the greatest life there ever was and ever will be was given for sinners, even the greatest sinners. Paul, the apostle, called himself the chief of sinners, and many times I felt like I've taken that crown from him. And... Thankfully, no one said amen this morning. Um, But uh, sometimes you feel that way. And you know, no matter who you are, Christ physically died for you. Paying a penalty that you deserve, that I deserved. And he paid it all. This was the Son of God made flesh on the cross. He performed the greatest miracle of all history. Prior history had waited for this event. And now, centuries later, we all look back to that event. Man has made some accomplishments. He's walked on the moon. He's transplanted hearts. We've made fantastic advances in the technological fields. We can blow up much of the earth now, although the Lord destroyed it with a bunch of water and then reformed it through that water, and he's going to destroy it with a bunch of fire someday that you have not seen the likes of it before or ever after that will you see it again. So all of men's accomplishments are as toddlers play in comparison to what our Lord can do. And it's really toddler's play in comparison to the accomplishments of the cross of Jesus Christ. No one in all of history had really ever resurrected themselves from the dead. Lazarus had been dead four days and the Lord just spoke the words and said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. I I, I tend to think it is. People said if he had just said come forth, everybody in the grave would have come forth. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. Guy's been dead for four days. Mary, uh, Martha's more worried about him stinking than she is that he's alive. You know, 
And, and, and you know, that's, that's a woman. You can be in the hospital. And this happened to me. I was in the hospital. I had a hole in my sock. My big toe was sticking up. I'd just been in an accident. My mother said, oh, I'm so embarrassed about that. Big toe hanging out, you know. And that big toe's hanging out. Uh, I, I just got hit head on by another car at 80 mile an hour. And, and I didn't have to stay in the hospital that night, but I'm sitting there in the gurney, and there's my toe sticking up. And, and she's, oh, no, you know. And, and so her first question is not, are you all right, is, why didn't you put on some good socks, you know? Martha was worried about him not, not smelling too good after four days. But here's Jesus. He raises from the dead by his own power. We've read throughout the Bible different ones being raised from the dead, but someone was there. But Jesus raised himself. This is the day Abraham rejoiced to see, and he saw it by faith, and he rejoiced. How did he see it? Well, by faith. His son, he was going to offer his own son Isaac on an altar, and God provided a substitute. 2,000 years before the cross, and he could see that day coming, and he trusted God and took him at his word. This is the day that has taken place, that one day in the future will cause every knee to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't forget, when we're in heaven, you read throughout the book of Revelation, they're talking about the Lamb that was slain. They'll realize, I think everyone will realize they're in heaven by grace. When I read, when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, and it tells me that the hidden things of darkness, the counsels of the heart, every secret thing will be made known. And then every man shall have praise. I said, man, how's everybody going to have praise of God when all those secret things, those counsels of the heart are made known? How are we going to have praise? Well, we'll all know we were saved by the grace of God. And the praise will be great. Yes, we're saved by the grace of God. And so, every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we say hallelujah for the greatest life given for great sinners because that was the only way we could have eternal life. But also, hallelujah for reversing the fate that was caused by the first man. The first Adam was disobedient unto death. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Adam fell in the very best of environments. People talk about, well, if they're raised in the best environment, couldn't get any better than what Adam had. He fell. Jesus was in the very worst environment. In the fullness of time. We're told in Galatians chapter 4 that Christ had died for us. He came in the fullness of time when sin was at its fullest to die for us. Now we can become products of the second man. When you're born into this world, you're born a product of the first man. You're born, you're born dead. Every one of us were. Spiritually dead. You see, the word dead is the idea of separation. We are born separated from God, headed to the same lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. 
However, if in this lifetime we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we have eternal life. And so we become a product of the second man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say, hallelujah, he reversed the fate with which I was born. Oh, yes. If you're saved today, you can say hallelujah. Therefore, we ought to walk even as he walked, as our text said. He gave his life for us. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, we read this. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. That verse, by the way, is not talking about salvation. It's talking about discipleship. And if Jesus Christ is not my all in all, I can be saved and saved so as by fire. I can be saved but not have the best that God wants for me. You see... Jesus Christ must come before all things. Before all things. You know, here it is Memorial Day. Men went off to war and did not return. They did not return. We, we have children, grandchildren here in the audience. We have them in the military. And so our eyes kind of look up, our ears perk up when we hear we may be sending troops here or troops there, maybe one of ours. So we're always careful. And it should, and if it doesn't, something's wrong with you, but it should just drive us to more prayer. But what I'm saying is, is this. They go off and they may not come back. We pray that they do, but they may not come back. They're leaving family. They're leaving home. They're leaving everything for their country. Well, we look for a country whose builder and maker is God. And so we can give ourselves to him and he becomes in front of everyone. He comes before family. He becomes before all things. I think of the history of men who, who gave their life at Valley Forge, at Gettysburg, at Shiloh, at World War I, World War II, Spanish-American War, Korea, Vietnam, the present ongoing things with, against Islamic terrorism. I don't care what they say, I'm proud to be an American. Media, educators, Hollywood, and many others seem to hate us and run us down. But why is it that America is usually the first one to respond when there's a disaster? Has helped other countries that we defeated in war because they started it. And we came back and not only defeated them, but then we came back and helped them financially. I remember a politician saying one time on the news years after Vietnam said their biggest mistake over there was they... uh, They didn't let us just defeat them completely so we could restore everything like we did for everybody else. 
America has been that way over the years. But socialism, humanism, and other such like satanic philosophies has turned this country into another direction. Look at verse 22. We look at our Savior. He's the example. He left us an example. Verse 21 said, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You see, our weaponry is not carnal. You listen to news. You listen to politicians attack each other with accusation and half-truths. You know, that's what Satan does. Satan inspires people to tell half-truths or just to make accusations. Sometimes they are very serious in their accusations. They really think that they're right. But they haven't done their homework. They haven't gone to the person they're accusing. They say they believe the Bible is the Word of God, but for some reason or another, they get on the Internet, Facebook, or something else that is more authoritative than the Word of God. And it tells you something about their spiritual life where they'll react to something they've read on the internet, but they won't react to the call of God in His Word. There are problems with that. It's interesting in the Bible, uh, it, it makes it like it seems God is shocked that fellow Christians in 1 Corinthians were taking one another to law for non-criminal actions, just their little civil lawsuits. Let the backsliding hypocrite make gossip his forte and be the first one to spread it. But pray for them. Jesus is our example, and what did he say? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. You see, the heroes of the faith were much bigger than those little people who have equated what they think is knowledge and spiritual maturity as spirituality, when in reality they're immature toddlers at best. Hallelujah. Our Lord left us an example. And he told us how to do, go about it. Hallelujah for the greatest life given for great sinners. Hallelujah for reversing our fate by his own death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah for leaving us an example to walk even as he walked. And then may we say, Hallelujah. That he left us an errorless book. And therefore we can know that the eternal life promised in it is sure. If we follow God's book and the way to be saved, he will do it every time. Look at verses 24 and 25. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now return unto the shepherd and the bishop of your soul. You see, these are verses that call us to repentance. He said how he would make us dead to sin so that we might live unto righteousness. That's a turning around. 
In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, he says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And by the way, let me make this clear. Repent is not doing penance. You're not earning your salvation. Matter of fact, you can't take your own sin away. Jesus has to take it. You've got to agree. Okay, Lord, cleanse me by the blood. And you're giving yourself to him. Acts chapter 20 and verse 21 said repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance towards God first. Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. <laughs> Preachers included, okay. All have sinned. One man, the first man, gave in to temptation. Just like you and I do on a daily basis. And you see, that sin was against God. And that's why we were all doomed. Eve was deceived by the devil's temptation. He, she was just deceived. Adam knew fully it was all wrong. He wasn't deceived. His sin was presumptuous. He went in with his eyes open. Perhaps in love for Eve, many have said. But there's a sense in which he did what many husbands have done in their putting their marriage or their children ahead of God and his commandments. Well, my little boy wants to play baseball, and he's in baseball league, and they play on Sunday now, so I'm going to go to the baseball games with him. And you know, we made a commitment to the baseball team. Did you ever make a commitment to Christ? Who's most important? Who is most important, Jesus Christ or the baseball team? Uh, will your son and will you as a parent one day appear before God and say, do you remember that baseball game? Why did you keep your son out of that baseball game? <laughs> no, that's not going to come up. But it will come up. Why are you at a ball game instead of in God's house forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? Sometimes they put, well, you know, we are a family and we're going to have family time. Why is it you can have family time and go to a ball game? You can have family time and, and you go out fishing. You go family time and you're out camping. But you, you, you can have a family time where a lot of people are around, Disney World or whatever, you have family time. But you can't come to church and set us a family and call it family time. Hey, this is God's family. It's family time. Let God be first in your heart. Let him be first in your life. Let him be your all in all. Don't put him ahead. Don't put your family ahead. Don't put your wife ahead. Don't put your child ahead of God. Don't let them become the idol in your life. Don't allow things to come to your life that will trump the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Yes, all sin is against God. 
surely die. The lake is prepared for the devil and his angels. So you're born doomed for that lake unless you have a Savior. And only Jesus Christ can do that. You'll notice our text said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us, all, 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 we've gone astray from him. But our sin was born in his body. He had no sin. But he became the sin offering for you and me. Every sin I ever have or ever will commit, as bad as they may be and are, whether it's a sin of the heart, a sin of my hands or or, of my mind or my mouth, whatever sin, they were all placed upon him. Every sin was placed on Jesus Christ. For all men, for all time, for the whole world. 1 John 2, 2 says, He bore in his body our sins, but not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. You know what the whole world means? The whole world. Don't make it difficult. He paid it all. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus was a hanging, bloody mess on a cross that is one of the most cruel, torturous deaths that anybody could ever die. But he doesn't want you to feel sorry for him on the cross like many times in movies and all that. They want you to feel sorry for him. Jesus doesn't want you to feel sorry for him. He wants you to see what your sin deserved. And see him as the lover of your soul who paid it for you. When the father poured out his wrath, For the final three hours of the cross, he was pouring it all out on the human spirit of Jesus Christ. His spirit suffered more than our spirit will ever suffer. I believe he suffered even more than any man in hell will suffer. But he arose. See, if you think you're going to do the best you can and you add it up like that little boy of the story I told at the beginning up and said, well, this ought to get me in. No. No. See, what you've got to be able to do is die, be buried, raise yourself up from the dead, change your body, make it completely new, and ascend up into heaven. If you can't do that, then you need a Savior who'd already did it for you. My friend, do you know that if you died today that heaven's your home? Yes, he needed a Savior just like we do. So hallelujah. He is the Savior that paid it all. I told the graduates here on Friday night, I said, you know, when I went to high school, everybody talks about, man, OCA, those rules are very strict. I said, most of our rules were as strict, if not more strict, except we didn't wear uniforms. But if you had a clothing violation, you were in big trouble. I've seen kids get home, uh, sent home just for the way they combed their hair. I saw that. I saw girls get sent home for a dress that was just at the top of the knee. In America, 
when I graduated from high school, that's the way it was. So we've seen a lot of change in America. These last 30 years, we've lost sight of freedom. The cost that was paid for that freedom. Forefathers who gave their lives. Those educators and crooked people who try to make America a criminal nation, bad with its freedom of religion and speech. The real enemies, the real lying enemies of America are they who would destroy the family structure and our very freedoms. Look, they hate America. They hate Bible morality. They hate family. They hate the idea of authority. And isn't it interesting that when they're in the minority, they're all for tolerance of everything that's evil? Well, we've got to be tolerant. We've got to be tolerant. We've got to be tolerant. But as soon as they take over, they tolerate nothing. But that's the way Satan works. Satan does the same thing telling you that there are many roads to heaven. There's not a hell. Do the best you can. Bible-believing Christians calling you to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus are your enemies. The truth is that that hate that they have for you has to be met with your love for God and your prayer for their souls and the witness of the gospel. The exact opposite of what they're trying to do. Why does he want to save you from sin's penalty? Why does he want to save you from the power of sin over you? So you can live unto righteousness. It's so much better than the pleasures of sin for a season that leave you an eternity of regret. So hallelujah for the men and women that gave their lives for this country. But Jesus gave his life that you might have eternal life far greater than just what freedoms and economic opportunities you have here. Repentance. Unto righteousness. In a day when men love darkness rather than light. The Son of God became the Son of men, man, that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Because he's risen from the dead, he can guarantee eternal life. Don't forget this about Jesus, because this is speaking of Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. 
To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Not of blood. You're not born a Christian. Nor were you born of the will of the flesh. Oh, I just did so good and so hard, I got it. Nor the will of man. His ways outside of God's way. Uh-uh. But of God, he says. And the word that was God, remember, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Apostle John testifies. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So my friend, the greatest thing about these hallelujahs is John 3.16. Why would he save you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. You say, preacher, you know what I've done? I mean, there might be somebody in this auditorium says, I've actually killed a person. There might be somebody says, I've been the, the greatest sexual perversions that you can think of. There might be somebody say, I, you know what, I robbed and got away with it. And we're going on a host of things. But my friend, it doesn't matter. God can save you. He can cleanse you. He can change you. He's a great Savior. What a Savior. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. He says, Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. <laughs> not even one person, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But you've got to come to him in repentance and faith. Repentance towards God. I'm a sinner. Faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection is your only way and hope and assurance of salvation. First Peter, uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse, verses 3 and 4. God, who would have all men to be saved... And come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know the only thing that stands between a person who's not sure if they died today that heaven's their home. And being saved and having home. Heaven is their home, their assurance. The only thing that stands between that is that person. You either accept it or you reject it. To reject it leads to this. One second after your death. You're in a lake of fire where you'll never cease to exist. You'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. You'll never escape. And you will have gone there by rejecting the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. Oh, my friend, don't do that. Let's bow our heads, please.